Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and we touch on money stuff from time to time. It's been a while since we've actually talked about it, and especially for those of us in the business end of things, running practices, setting fees, all that kind of stuff, it's always helpful to have fresh new perspectives on it. So joining us today is Tiffany McLean. She is a LMFT in the San Francisco Bay Area, and she also has a website, heytiffany.com, and she's here to tell us all about how to manage money and be be awesome. Like, Tiffany's great. <laughs> like, <laughs> We're super excited to have Tiffany here. She's got so much great knowledge, and she is just super fun. So thank you so much for being here. It is my pleasure. And I don't know how much I'm going to tell you how to manage money, but I am going to tell you how to make money so that you have something to actually manage. Yeah, I think I think making money is actually more important. Well, some people would argue managing it is more important, but making it in the first place so you can have it to manage. That's good. Exactly right. So to start off, tell us who you are and what you're putting out into the world. I'm Tiffany McLean. I realize I don't say my last name a lot. I'm Tiffany. I have a website called HeyTiffany.com and a program called Lean and Make Bank. And the whole thing is helping therapists earn more money, make a bank, charge premium prices in their practices while continuing to work with the clients that they're passionate about serving. So kind of dispelling this um, zero-sum game. Like I either have to work with rich people and abandon my roots or I have to you know, only serve people who can't afford my fees and then I got to be in poverty. It's a, mm-hmm. a myth in our field, in our culture, and I'm trying to break that up and start a revolution around uh, actually creating practices that earn a great living where therapists are able to make a bigger impact because they actually have the resources to do so. That is awesome. I love that. So in breaking down some of these challenges, why do therapists have such a hard time with money? That is a great question. There is a study by a person, E. Lasky. I don't even know who this person is. I think it was in the 1980s. And he did a study and he concluded that he or she concluded that therapists are more likely than any other profession to be upwardly mobile. That is to come from working class backgrounds or blue collar backgrounds. That was a shock to me to find out, but it also made a ton of sense. So therapists are folks who have grown up with all kinds of stories about money, what it means to have money, what it means to not have money, projections about wealth. You know, there's all kinds of things about the 1%, greedy. And therapists also know what it means to be without or to struggle. That's why a lot of us became therapists. It gets all tied up with money in a really confusing way. Class, education, leaving behind our roots. All of these things a lot of therapists struggle with and then they come up We go to college, we go to grad school, maybe the first in our families to do so. And so we're in a culture and a field that kind of promotes this idea, that continues this idea that if you do well financially, if you make a a successful living for yourself, you're leaving people behind and other people are suffering by virtue of your growth. So I think that 
fact alone that a lot of us are upwardly mobile creates a lot of confusion around how to think about work with and make money in our private practices. That's so interesting because I've always kind of tied it to some of, some of that martyrdom or or that kind of piece of always believing that we should be doing this out of the goodness of our hearts. But there's also the complexity of what the concept you're talking about is so interesting. This idea that if we leave people behind, we're somehow hurting them in some way. You know that we're we're actually doing something that is bad for society. Which in truth, that's just so wrong. That's right. It's interesting, this idea of martyrdom too, this idea that I have to sacrifice myself. And if we think about people who are upwardly mobile, if we think about people of color, if we think about uh, women, if we think about all kinds of marginalized communities, there's a a feeling that we have to continue to make sacrifices. Meanwhile, there are people who grew up with privilege and access, and they're not, this is not overall true, but you know, they proudly and confidently earn more money, have a lot of resources, and they're continuing to grow that their people in their field. And we're kind of struggling around yeah. uh, martyring ourselves and not actually able to make an impact because we don't start by impacting our own lives first. Yeah. I, I mean, this is, you're singing my tune. This is something where I, I think it's so hard when people are sacrificing themselves because they can't keep doing the work. That's right. And so even if it's solely to unselfishly continue to do the work, we have to take some for ourselves or we can't do it. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. What are your best tips for managing the money component in getting into the business of therapy? Holy smokes. That's a great question. It makes me think about, we'll get into mindset, I'm sure down the road, but I would start even with uh, managing money starts with managing your own thinking about money, uh, really doing your work in your own therapy, finding colleagues who can support you to really start thinking about dispelling this myth that if you win, someone else loses. If you're successful, someone else is missing out. So managing money first, here's a, when I was um, going to a therapist, the last therapist I saw, she charged 250 an hour. And I was like, I want to go, I'm going to pay out of pocket. You know, I want to put my money where my mouth is and really pay a professional for their work. I was thinking when I met with her, like, can I afford this? Can I not? I think this was last year. Can I, I don't know. It's so expensive. And I was like, you know, I looked at my bank account. I made 10, you know, I'm around 10,000 this month. Um, and I made that last month and I've been making that consistently, but I don't know if I can afford therapy because mm. I don't think that's true. And she was like, wait, what do you, you just said you have 10,000 in your bank account. Or you just made that. How do you, what do you mean? It's not true. I'm like, I just can't wrap my head around it. So there was some way that even being able to imagine myself as a person who was consistently bringing in good money, I couldn't even think about it. So much less could I manage my money if I can't even reconcile it with my identity. So there are the concrete things around managing money, how to budget, how to save, where to put it, how to allocate it. There's a fantastic book called, here's a tip for folks, Profit First. I love that book. Right? That's that's been amazing in helping me wrap my head around money. But I couldn't even read that book until I understood the way my mindset around money, my identity tied to money was one in which I was a person who could not have. I couldn't think about the actual numbers until I got right with how I thought about myself in the world. How do you help people shift that mindset? Because I think it's right. I think that a lot of us have this scarcity mindset to use kind of a popular phrase, but there's this piece of really not, there's a fear around not having enough or not being able to sustain income. There's just, I mean, there's a million of them, I'm sure. There's a million of my <laughs> million different mindsets that can really hurt us in our interaction with money. But Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate upfront. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. 
From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. How do you recommend that people shift their mindset around money? This is a big question, Katie. We start out with a big question. Um, <laughs> it's, it's huge. It's huge. There's something around how I work with therapists around this is really helping them get clear about what their projections are around money, how they're viewing their identity with money, and then starting to dispel which of those things are true and which of those things are false. Even at the most basic level, in this, terms of this question about how to manage money, I have therapists go through a fun with fees calculator. We don't have fun with fees. We're all freaked out about them. So that's like, <laughs> <laughs> but really, it's like having people go through and see what their current budget really is, what their dream budget actually is, like actually putting down the numbers. Because at the end of the day, it's not actually about money. Money is a symbol for all kinds of other things. So I have them yeah. like, yeah, what do you want? What kind of lifestyle do you want? What kind of money do you need to support that lifestyle? And then once they actually see that number on the page, that hard, cold, warm, fuzzy, however you want to think about it, actual fee, that's when we can actually start helping them get real because that's yeah. numbers don't lie. Money Numbers are real. And so then we can start helping them come up with thinking about, okay, here's the number. Let's say my fee needs to be 200. What are the things that are keeping me from actually charging that? And then that's when we can start doing the work and dispelling, diving in, yeah. understanding where those things are coming from. What are the things that you see people most often get in the way of people charging the fee that they, they need for the lifestyle they want? So many things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's like, you're like, this is like a seven week course. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're going to actually just keep having this podcast for the next 10 hours. So get ready, audience. Uh, it, we can start really far out with, you know, I've talked about this throughout the cultural piece of both society at large, but I'll even drop down into the therapist cultural piece. We really reinforce the idea that we don't talk about money, that it's bad to talk about our desire for money, that we didn't enter this field to make money. Yep. So even within our, amongst our colleagues, we shame, there's a lot of shame passed around or judgment passed around around the desire to earn. So that's one thing that gets in people's way or makes it very hard. Ask that question again, though. I got all excited about that. And I forgot what, you- <laughs> <laughs> well, what are some of the things that get in the way of yeah, being right. able to charge the fee that you need for the lifestyle you want? That's right. So if you're in a culture with a whole bunch of professional colleagues who are ha- kind of reinforcing this idea that making money is bad and you're bad for wanting it, well, then it's hard to even think about it. So that's one thing. But then we can come to, there's a couple of feelings I talk about, of course, shame, this feeling that I'm bad, I'm not worth it. And so if I'm bad at the end of the day, if I'm not good enough, how can I charge someone else? Right? So that's something that comes in. Then there's guilt. Like, even if I think like, yeah, I can charge. There's this idea that and we talk about this with the upward mobility thing. If I'm doing well, if I'm charging good money, there are all kinds of people in the world who are not doing well or who can't afford me. And I'm leaving those people behind by virtue of charging higher fees and taking care of myself. So that's kind of a guilt zero sum. Underneath that is a zero sum game yeah. uh, idea. If I win, you lose. That's another one. Another one that's really interesting is envy, right? So we'll look out if we do actually see colleagues who are doing well. Often the therapists I work with 
they catch themselves disparaging those people in their mind. Oh, those people are greedy. Those people are bad. And uh, I wish I could have it, right? So if you have greed and envy towards other people, then you don't want to be in that position and risk having people feel envy towards you or have these feelings towards you. So it gets really complicated and really interesting to start looking at the ways our feelings and thoughts and projections keep us from actually taking action to earn more in our practices. So is it just as easy as shifting your mindset in order to get past these feelings? I think it actually like the money. It's interesting to think about like the money part as I've worked on my own money mindset and continue to do the work, my bank account and the money I make each month just keeps growing. I'm like, Oh, that's the money actually coming in is the easy part. Like the steps one has to take to actually earn money. That's easy. But the mindset piece actually questioning the ways we're thinking about it. I talk about money as a symbol of reality and money as a symbol of death. And so to actually start earning, that means you have to get in touch with reality. And the reality is it's, we're gonna die. Oh, we just got deep on you folks. Whoa. Um, right, so <laughs> if, we think about money as a, if we think about money as a representation of reality, we can see why people are afraid to actually get real about what it means to earn money, what it means to have, what it means to question their own identities. What's this about money is a symbol of death? I understand it's deep and maybe maybe people will, will fall off on the listenership right now, but like, I'm really, really curious. How is how does that line up? People don't fall off. This is about yeah, the most amazing thing. Stuff. Stay, stay with heard. us. That's right. <laughs> Stick with us. Um, let's take it in, in terms of a clinical situation. And this is also actually at the end of the day, one of the things that's very important to me is having therapists do good work. And if therapists are not earning what they need, they're avoiding things in the clinical work. If therapists are not looking at their relationship with money. That means they're not looking at their relationship with aggression, boundaries, all kinds of things. So that means they're missing that clinically. So we actually do in the program a lot of work around your clinical skills and how you're not doing your money stuff coming in. So if we think about this idea of money as a uh, representation of reality or death, if you have a client who's coming in, if that client is on a sliding scale and she comes in with her Louis Vuitton purse and talked about, oh, I had a great time with my colleagues last night. We just spent, you know, oh, I blew 200. Anyways, oh, I'm sad. And, the, and then they move on and the therapist doesn't say, hold, hold up, hold up. You just talked about, you know, getting this Louis Vuitton bag and going to this expensive dinner, yet you're on a sliding scale. How can we think about that? That brings up things like, you don't care about me. I thought I was special to you. You're greedy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so it, t- it, t- it starts talking about limitations. Like the reality is a therapist has needs and therapists like to ha- pretend this isn't so and clients like to pretend it isn't so. We're getting around to death, don't worry. We're still wrapping, we're wrapping our- <laughs> Oh, I'm with you, I'm still right? with you. I'm so hanging there's on. A, there's an idea of limitation, right? Uh, therapists can't give endlessly and clients can't have things endlessly. If we start thinking about limitation, that brings us to like the limitations of reality, our lives, we're gonna die one day. And so like, if we get real of like, I have an infinite amount of time, I have an infinite amount of money, my time is important. So I have to charge more for that, which means you don't get to uh, have a Louis Vuitton bag and go out to dinner and still pay me very little, right? It starts getting aggression, time, boundaries, all of that stuff gets tied up in a way that's um, very complex and very powerful when clinicians actually start getting into it with their clients. I just feel like my, my brain exploded. <laughs> <laughs> because I think it's, it's so critical. I hadn't thought about it that way because I think we talk about being a whole person therapist. It's one of the things we espouse. This is right in our wheelhouse, but I hadn't thought about it in a money sense. I think because as you know, kind of the typical therapist, I try to avoid that conversation, but I believe that when you said that there was this piece of the unrealistic expectations that clients have for us, that we have unlimited time, unlimited money, that we are going to give and give and give, and there's no limit to it. 
it just like the light bulb went off and it was one of those things where when we actually ask for what we need, it's, it helps a therapeutic relationship. It gives a reality to the relationship. And I think it's something where a lot of people would argue with you about that. Well, the therapist shouldn't bring their needs in the room, Mm. but it's not realistic. It's not, it doesn't make sense. That's right. There's something about this idea of what, what is our work as therapists? And there are all kinds of different orientations. Therapists do different things. Sometimes, and I think this is a fallacy, or either a fallacy or it's just one part of the work, where therapists think my role is to be the endless nurturer who mm-hmm. gives this client the thing they didn't have. The reality is that client, if they're, a, if they're children, then we're talking about a different thing. But if that client's an adult, the reality is they're not a two-year-old. They didn't get that thing back when they were two that they needed. And by a therapist continuing to nurture them endlessly, it's upholding a fantasy that there are adults take care of adults in that way. And that's not actually true. And so there's something about one of the, in my mind, one of the primary goals of therapy is to help clients get in touch with reality and to be with them on that journey, no matter how painful it is. And if we're continuing to slide our skin and work too many hours, we're actually trying to avoid the uncomfortable reality, the mourning of uh, loss, the grief that comes with realizing I didn't get that thing I needed when I was a kid. Uh, That's terrifying and sad. And I think a lot of therapists do all kinds of work to not have to go through that process with their clients. So interesting. Wow. Shifting gears just a little bit. Please, we got deep there for a minute. (laughs) You talk about being able to do this not just in wealthy neighborhoods, but also in in places where there might be more systemic or historical oppression. And one of the the areas that I struggle with is even in some of the teaching that I do of working with people who want to go back to their home neighborhoods, whether it's inner city or it's more working class. How do we hold this mindset in some of these areas that might not be systemically as upwardly mobile as some of the therapists who are frankly taking on a lot of debt in order to go and do this and to be able to wrestle with some of these issues that you're talking about? That's a great question. We have to, there's a couple of ways to think about it, right? So if somebody's life work is to give back to people in the community and to be a, a server in that way, Private practice is not the way to go about doing that. So if you want to go and give back and serve these particular communities first and foremost, uh, I say go work for a group practice or go work in an agency because you can't actually sustain a business that way. That's one way to think about it. Another way to think about it, even though I have my private practice and I have Hey Tiffany, really one of the things I'm very passionate about and want to do ultimately, one of my bucket list items is to be able to send a foster kid through college and also set that person up with a a particular foster kid, a young African-American male, and -hmm. and set him up with a a mentorship system or a structure that he can actually get through it successfully. And then I want to do it again and again if I can. But I have to have the resources to be able to do that. So I think there's also something about doing things in the correct order. So if you want to actually make a greater impact on society, you have to have time, you have to have money, and you have to have uh, energy and and self-care, or you can't actually make an impact in a sustainable way. Uh, Because a lot of therapists are starting at a deficit themselves, if they keep doing the hard work, they're going to burn out and actually end up repeating the same kind of poor service that minorities and low ASAS people get in the first place, which is access to a burnt out overwhelmed caregiver. I say, you got to actually take care of yourself, create systems, create resources, and then go create those structures. But that doesn't come first. That comes down the road. Yeah. And I, what I've heard people say, you know, do I take insurance? Do I not take insurance? Mm -hmm. Do I slide my scale? That kind of stuff. And I think when you really want to give back, I like your ideas of being able to actually donate or do some of these things like setting up a mentorship or a college fund or those kinds of things. But if you slide your scale for 
20 clients, you can't sustain that practice. But if you have some completely pro bono or very low fee slots and the rest are your full fee, that also is a way to sustain and give back. It just isn't your whole practice. I think it's really looking at the reality of it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's figuring out what works for you and what you can sustain and what's the lifestyle that you want and then fitting the other pieces around it. But working in community mental health, I think it is a way that you can be financially stable and give back to the community. I think there is a misnomer that people are like, oh, they don't make very much money. Well, it's like they have salaries and benefits. And, <laughs> you know, right. there is, it is a way that you can have that lifestyle that you want if you, if you do that and you don't have to slide and, and have really low paying clients in, in private practice to have that work. That's correct. I don't think everybody needs to go into private practice. I don't think everybody who works for an agency is needs to get out of there, right? Like I think some people love agencies. They love the stability. They love teaching. There are all kinds of things people like to do. But for those who want to be in private practice and have that be a business, there's a different way you have to think about yourself and the work you do. That's a really good distinction because I think a lot of people have these, these shoulds that they walk mm-hmm. into the career with. You know, I, I should want this. I should want that. I should think about it this way. I should live this type of lifestyle. And I think what I'm really hearing is that you're saying that we need to really be able to identify the lifestyle we want and put the right mindset and you know things in place so that we can actually live it and not barely hang on and become burned out awful therapists. That's right. We <laughs> don't want burned out awful therapists because that's perpetuating something with our clients. So anything we can do to not be burned out, overwhelmed therapists, we're, uh, that makes us better clinicians. For sure. You have a very strong brand. You aren't the stereotypical therapist. How'd you learn how to embrace this? I had no choice. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, and this is also probably my upwardly mobile or marginalized community thing. I grew up in a community. My dad was from, you know, people follow me. They've heard the story. He grew up in the projects, super violent projects in Chicago, joined the military, got out, moved to this super small white military town, married my mom who's white. She already had four kids who are white. So I have one half, one full brother and then four half siblings. My nieces. So I grew up in this white town surrounded by white folks. I went to a super conservative, we were in a very conservative church, a very particular kind of church, extra conservative. And so we were sheltered, you know, the world is bad, the worldly things are evil, right? So we're like very cloistered. And then I was, I had to go to public school one year and I was shoved out into the world of like Backstreet Boys or New Kids on the Block. I don't even know, like things <laughs> I haven't even heard of music and like, so I realized like I, I, I did not fit in. In my family, I didn't fit in. You know, I felt like, oh, I, I loved everybody. I was comfortable in a lot of ways, but there was something, my brother and I, uh, other um, biracial brother, we would kind of be sitting at family gatherings and we'd sing to ourselves quietly. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> like, that's how we so I think for a long time I tried to fit in, but I just, I was big. I was, you know, I say that loosely compared to, uh, you know, my mom is tiny. I was, my hair is curly. I look different. I sound different. You know, I couldn't fit in. And for a long time I tried and felt a lot of shame and guilt and not guilt, shame, insecurity, wishing I could fit in. And I had this thought of like, somebody like me is never going to be given an opportunity. I'm never going to be accepted into a a group. So I got to make my own group. And it took a long time for me to come to, but I realized I'm going to make, I'm going to make a tribe. I'm going to be as different as I'm going to be because I'm never going to fit in. So let me just go to the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, And it took me probably, like, I think probably I wasn't super comfortable with myself until I was in my early 30s. So like two months ago. Uh, (laughs) And now I'm there and I love it. And it's much, uh, it's a much better way to live. It's very free. I love that. I think that's great. And I think there are folks who will take that, you know, the big personality and they will then hide it behind a blank slate for a therapist. And you've not done that. 
you definitely allow yourself to be you. And my assumption is that there are those of us like Kurt and me who will absolutely love it and think it's awesome. But my assumption is that there's probably haters. There's probably people that push back when you have a strong brand and you're really good at making that, that brand visible. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. So do you have any of those? I, if, Hater if I do, they keep their mouth shut. <laughs> nice. Uh, Thank I goodness. Think I think there's something about, uh, um, they may not forever. So two things, actually, I want to make a distinction. I do psychoanalytic work. I'm way more held back. That was one of my anxieties with starting Hey Tiffany was how much of myself, this self, do I bring yeah. forward? Um, mm-hmm. It was a conflict that actually held me back from starting the business for a while. I'm going back to that idea of, oh yeah, so haters. I certainly was afraid of that, both haters, but also more afraid of like, what if my clients see me? Mm-hmm. I don't self-disclose. I don't really come forward in this way. In terms of haters, I realized that the people who, who I can help in the hate to people, the therapists I can help are my number one priority. And I'm not for everyone and I can't be for everyone. If you're for everyone, then you're really for no one. So I have to get over myself or my fears of what, what people who may hate me or people who may have a problem with me in order to serve the people who I can have an impact with and whose lives can be changed by virtue of my, my, my being out there. So I focus on that. And if people come at me in another way, yeah, they're not my people. Yeah. You were talking about how different you are in your therapy room and, and with, you know, kind of the coaching presence and the online presence. How do you keep those distinct? How do you kind of walk the, that line? Because I think that's something that Kurt and I talked about it in an episode, mm-hmm. kind of coaching versus therapy. But I think you're actually living in, in a business or two businesses that are, are very distinct. You know, I think for me, mm-hmm. I do coaching and, and therapy and they're distinct, but not that distinct. Like I mm-hmm. self-disclose in therapy and I, you know, I, I'm kind of more myself in both spaces in the same way. So I, I'm just really curious about how that shows up for you. Because if you're doing psychodynamic work, Hey, Tiffany is the opposite in some ways, in my, my impression. Definitely. I, I, I'm, oh, one thing is that my fingers are crossed and my clients haven't come across Hey, Tiffany, although maybe they have and they haven't. Yet. <laughs> uh, it's working on their unconscious process. I, um, I think about the work I do in therapy in a very particular way. Of course, there's the frame, 50 minutes. I pay attention to the unconscious process. And my job is to help them come to understand their minds and then make a choice about who and what they are in the world, which is, you know, there are a lot of barriers to that. In the consulting world, in the Hey Tiffany world, there's a specific goal, which is your business improves. I have a steps to get you there. It's very, I don't question, hey, is this even the right goal for you? Like, should your business improve? If you come to me, that's my job is to help you get there. So it's almost like with a therapy client, I'm taking them from maybe point A to point L in terms of their growth or development. In the business world, I'm taking people from like uh, W to Z, right? Like they've already gone through the foundational work. They're working with their own therapist. They've gone through that process. By the time you get to me, you have to have pretty good ego strength. And people are, you know, have, we deal with shame, all that kind of stuff we deal with in the program, but it's not my job to help you work through that. I pinpoint, I reframe, I'm much more directive to say, look, this is the goal. This is what you're saying you want me to help you with. We're going to get there. Psychotherapy clients is very different. I, I, we, we, um, there's a lot more, uh, introspection and paying attention to the relationship and how to get them there where they need to be, which I don't have a, an objective for them. And so with that, you, you're like, 
crossing your fingers that they've not seen Hey Tiffany. It sounds like none of the clients have have been able, like have heard your story or they've they've mm-hmm. seen this stuff like that's not come up in the therapy room. It's not, it's not come up yet. There was one, <laughs> there was one thing once back when I had a different site, psychoanalysis is sexy. Uh, that oh. I thought I used to have <laughs> some videos for that, uh, that someone stumbled upon and they just shook their head and we're not going to go into that. All right. Uh, All right. but if someone <laughs> did find it though, if someone found that presence or found, Hey Tiffany, uh, it's just grist for the mill. We just work through it together. So you just keep them separate is basically what I'm yeah, hearing. You keep, absolutely. Practically, you keep them separate. You've got two different marketing you know, segments. Mm-hmm. And if they if somebody sees it both, then, then in therapy, you it's Chris for the, the conversation. That's right. And even when I said I don't say my first name at the top of this podcast, I realized with Hey Tiffany, you're not going to find my last name on there. So even for a long time, that was not a way you could even find me from there. Now that I've been on <laughs> podcast, my last name is associated, but it wasn't for a long time. Ah, that's very interesting. What else are you finding that therapists are getting wrong, getting in in their own way, whether it's managing their brand, whether it's how they practice, whether it's with money? Yeah, therapists are definitely getting their fees wrong. That's that's hands down. And the reason for there are a couple of different layers of consciousness around this. The first layer, you have the therapists who are like, I just lower my fee. I have a sliding scale because I want to give back. I want to make a change. I actually think that's a, the most unconscious level. It's one that fits in with the culture. It's easy to say, and it's easy to put that out there. And everybody says, yeah, good for you. Good for you. Not too many, too much questioning around that. Then the next layer down are people who say, well, I do want to understand how to have a business and have my fees. So I'm going to do market research. So they look around at their peers and see what is everybody else charging? But it actually, again, it's not actually based on the reality of their life. It's not really doing the work to say like, what do I need to build my business? It's kind of doing an easy way out. The next layer down are people who are aware that they're afraid to charge an appropriate fee because they think the person may not stick around. They don't know if they're good enough. They don't feel like they have enough to offer. Those people are the ones I can work with the most because they're aware, they're aware that fear is the thing that's actually running their business. And I can work with that a lot more than I can work with the other things, even though I do work with the other things. I have never actually met, knock on wood, this is maybe a little controversial to say, I've never actually met a therapist who had a sliding scale because it was a conscious choice to have a sliding scale as part of their business where it wasn't based in fear. Mm. I've never met a therapist who had a sliding scale that wasn't based in fear. So I think therapists get a lot wrong in terms of how they set their fees. And if they actually dive in and address that, how they set their fees, how they're letting fear their business and actually tackle that, they show up in the clinical setting in amazing ways. That's one of the things I'm most excited to see with my students is how their clinical skills improve, how their, their own psychotherapy clients start having amazing revelations by virtue of the therapist leaning in, facing their fears and doing the hard work. Great. I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm stunned. I, I'm just, I'm sitting here and I'm like, please just keep talking. Like <laughs> you, you so win. Much, I think that so this is the, though. this is the end of the podcast. Like it, it's just Tiffany's now. I can do it for 10 minutes and I'm out. <laughs> I love that though. I think it's, it's something where the perspective that you have is one that's so unique. I think it's, it's something where being able to think about how the way we set our fees, the way we talk about fees, the way that we interact with our clients around money has real impacts, not just on our lives and how, what kind of lifestyle we have, but on the clinical work. I think that's, that's really powerful. Where can people find you? Like, wh- like if somebody wanted to come work with you or somebody needed some special Tiffany goodness, like how do we find you? 
I tell people start with a fee calculator that I have that actually shows you exactly what your fee needs to be based on your current budget and the, and the lifestyle you want to have and need to have in order to show up. And you can get that at heytiffany.com forward slash fee calculator, all one word. Okay. And we'll make sure to put that on the show notes. Yeah. Any other places that they should find you or, or work with? How can they work with you or those kinds of things? I, you can go to heytiffany.com. I have a blog there. I have videos. I have Ask Tiffany series where I answer therapist questions around fees and money and how to deal with it. And you can also just send me an email at uh, tiffany at heytiffany.com. I read and respond to every email I get from folks. And so I shouldn't say that on here, but <laughs> <laughs> well, and just, and just to plug, I've watched some of those videos and they are so helpful and they're like, they're like five minutes or whatever, sure. uh-huh. Uh-huh. just a powerful lesson. So it's definitely good stuff there. Thank you very much. It's exciting to make. And you can find our show notes on our website, mtsgpodcast.com. And while you're there, you can check out all of the wonderful things that Katie and I are doing. The awesome Therapy Reimagined Conference coming up in October 2018 here in Los Angeles. Two days, 14 CEUs on crafting better clinicians. Hitting a lot of these points that Tiffany's talking about around who we are coming into this profession, how we run our businesses. And also check out our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Survival Guide group. You can come over and continue the conversations that we're having there. So until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Vernoy and Tiffany McLean. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months.